website, cil.churchcenter.com. Either Pastor Josh or a member of our water baptism team will contact you when that form is filled out. If you have any immediate questions, please reach out to Pastor Josh or any other CIL pastor. 242 small groups will be happening on Sunday, November 22nd. Here are the details. 242 childcare is provided on campus on the 22nd from 4.45 until 6.45 p.m. for children through 5th grade. Please register your children for 242 childcare through the Church Center app. Knowing how many children to expect will determine our staffing. Thank you for registering your child through the Church Center app. CIL Student 242 groups for middle school and high school students will meet with Pastor Josh upstairs in the loft on the 22nd from 5 to 6.30 p.m. You can learn more about all the groups by checking out the Church Center app and clicking on Groups. Our annual Costa Rica missions trip for 2021 is scheduled from Saturday, June 26th through Saturday, July 3rd. If you're interested in this event, please text or call Tommy Hollenden at 615-554-2287. Again, that is Tommy at 615-554-2287. He would love to give you more information about this amazing experience. And that's what's happening at the church. Remember, you can find notes for today's message on Uversion. Just find CIL under events to follow along. Also, you can learn more about us at CIL.church, and you can stay connected with CIL, CIL Kids, and CIL Students on Instagram and Facebook. And remember, CIL Online meets on Facebook, YouTube, and CIL.church. We'll see you next time.
Gentlemen, the worst named church ever in America. But I'll give you another on the list. It's not the top. It's not as bad as that church. But I was some, one time I was driving in Alabama somewhere trying to get down to the beach. And, you know, you take the craziest roads to get down to, that, to, to the Destin area or whatever the case is. Of course, I never quite get to Destin. I stop in Panama City Beach. My wife goes with her girlfriends to Destin, but I have not gone to Destin yet. I haven't made it down 31A. I just go to youth camp with the teenagers. But anyway, I'm not bitter or anything. I'm not getting group counseling or anything. I just want to throw that out there. So going through all those back roads in Alabama, uh, I came across the name of church. And I think it's funny, and you probably won't think it's funny, but some of you will actually like the name of this church. You're thinking, yeah, man. This is a, I'd like that church, but I'm telling you, it's a terrible name, especially for those of us who, who want to maybe bridge, have some bridges to the community. The name of this church was Confrontation Church of God in Christ. Thanks, man, for the courtesy laugh. Confrontation Church of God. That, that doesn't just make you want to go. It doesn't just draw you in. Some of you it does, but most of us are like, that sounds like a scary place, man. I'm scared to go there. Confrontation Church of Christ. So names are really hard to get. I thought about Confrontation Church of God or Confrontation Church of God in Christ, whichever one it was, when I thought about our passage today, because in the passage today, we're kind of culminating all of this case that Paul made against the Judaizers to basically tell us, this is the reason why I confronted Peter to his face. So here's the title of my message. The title of my message is Confrontation for Transformation. Confirmation for Transformation. And I want to make the point today that when confrontation is good, it can lead to transformation. We often want to avoid confrontation, just like we might avoid that terribly named church. But when confrontation is healthy and when it is appropriate, it is good for us. Confrontation is needed, confrontation is necessary, and confrontation is beneficial. So before we even read our passage today, I'm going to give you the first point. Here's the first point. A revelation does not guarantee a transformation. And I want you to think about this. A revelation does not guarantee a transformation. And here's the reason why. Peter, in Acts chapter 10, had a revelation at the house of Cornelius. And, and if, if I want to just remind some of you who may have read this before, or I preached on this not too long ago when we did some of our Acts series. Uh, he, he saw a picture of a bird that was unclean. And in this vision, uh, he heard the spirit say, eat this. And that led him to conclude through a long story that Jesus is for everyone, not just for the Jews. Jesus is for the Gentiles too. And we're benefiting from that revelation right now, those of us who are not Jewish. We're benefiting from that as I speak. So that revelation came to Peter, but here's the deal. He backed off the revelation. Even though he knew that Jesus was for everybody, you're going to see here in Galatians very clearly today that he took a step back. What God had revealed to him, he did not apply to his life. Guys, we get revelations all the time that we don't apply to our life. Let me give you an example that's very relevant for this Thanksgiving week. Sugar. It has been revealed to us by the FDA, by nutritionists. It's been revealed to us by the scales that we stand on that sugar is not good for our bodies. 
But how many know that that revelation doesn't always bring transformation? Just because we know something's bad for us doesn't mean we always apply it to our life. I'll say one thing about food metaphors. I will say this. is Food is something that you have to have, you know? So there's always a breakdown in that metaphor. You, you could always say, well, I'm never going to uh, drink alcohol if that's a problem. Or, you know, I'm never going to look at pornography if that's a problem. But you can't say I'm never going to eat again. I mean, you, you know, you have to eat to survive. So we know this, though, that in Revelation, that revelation can come and we can agree with it and we can benefit from it, but we could back off of it later. That's exactly what Peter did. So now all of that work to go to today's passage. Galatians chapter 2, starting with verse 11. But when Cephas, who's Peter, remember that. So when Cephas Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. And I'll just add this parenthetically, that term certain men strongly insinuates that Paul had certain people in mind, specific people. He's trying to point out, hey, I left and you were okay, but then certain people came back in and they've messed you up or they've taught you incorrectly. So before certain men came from James, however, When they came, he, Peter, withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews. In other words, buddy, you need to practice what you preach. You, you, you can't preach one thing and live something different. Now, if this scripture seems familiar outside of your regular Bible reading, I actually preached on this very passage in the month of June in a message called, Watch Out for the Second Wave. And that was a message specifically about racism and, and, and really how racism comes back into our thinking and talking. And so I almost skipped this passage and said, go listen in June. But I think it would still do you good to go hear that message. And some of that will come out today because this does apply to racism, but it also applies uh, to, you know, really in its origins to our faith and faith by grace and faith by Jesus, not faith by works. It was just connected to a racial issue of Jews and Gentiles here. And so we see both meanings available here. Here's what happens. People have emotional connections with Jesus and intellectual connections with Jesus, but that doesn't always change our lives. I want to be honest about CIL and most churches in America today is we use a component of entertainment to present the gospel. So let's just be, any church over 40 is about like this, okay? So I'm not picking on CIL and I'm not picking on other churches, but uh, currently the way we do church, we don't all just gather and just open up a songbook or choose a song randomly and just all sing it out loud and then someone else picks it. We have this idea of trained musicians and, and 
and a paid worship leader and even, even the lights and the stage and all of that feels like entertainment. And then when I'm speaking, you know, I throw in, I try to throw in my jokes and make you guys laugh to get you some word, pull you back in, give you some more word, pull you back in, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and so I'm saying all of this is that it's very possible in the United States of America to listen to K-Love or to watch a Christian television well, no one watches Christian television over the age of 70, under the age of 70 anymore. But watch a YouTube channel of a, of, a, of a church or a presentation and emotionally connect, emotionally connect to what's happening. So people can come to CIL and emotionally connect to what we're doing. And, and God uses that. So I'm not even saying that's wrong. I'm just saying it's factual. And then you can intellectually connect with Jesus through reasoning uh, by looking at Scripture, by looking to supplements to Scripture, by reasoning out their faith, and you can intellectually agree with Jesus. But emotionally connecting with Jesus and intellectually connecting with Jesus doesn't necessarily change your heart. If you're not converted, if you're not changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, then it's just a temporary emotional or intellectual connection, and you have to have the transformational power of God to do what only God can do. And that's called being born again. That's called conversion. That's called renewal in the spirit. And that is what God can do that you can't do for yourself. And God has done that for the Gentiles and the Jews. And that's why Jesus is for every person. Peter backed off. And because of that, Paul confronted him. And that leads me to my second point today. My second and final point, but I'm going to trick you because I have four categories under the second point, but it felt good to say that. Point number two, proper confrontation, and that's a key point, appropriate or proper confrontation corrects community damage. So for us to be the people of God, fully healthy, fully following scripture, there's going to be there's going to be times of confrontation. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And it, it can come from spiritual leaders confronting people in the church. But it also comes from the community appropriately and lovingly confronting spiritual leaders. It's a two-way street. It's not a one-way direction. It's us as brothers and sisters uh, reasoning together by Scripture and by even the culture that God's established to find the will of God. So here's, here are some categories of proper, proper, appropriate confrontation. The first word I'm going to use is the word environment. And I, and I almost use the word setting, but environment is, is a more palatable word for us. Setting sounds like my seventh grade English class, you know, setting, plot, that kind of thing. Environment talks about reading the room, reading the room. Paul did something very unusual that I don't recommend Normally, but now there is biblical precedent. He confronted Peter publicly. And he did that, again, to defend the gospel. He did that because a public correction affected everyone. Like a lot of lives were on the line. People's faith were on the line if Paul did not confront Peter publicly. Most of the time, guys, we have to have the right environment to engage in confrontation. Okay, so if you haven't enjoyed the sermon yet, clue in for the next 30 seconds. I'm about to help you out, all right? 
I'm about to help you. I'm going to give you a word of wisdom starting now. This Thursday, there's a high probability you're going to be meeting with people you don't normally meet with, like family and friends that you don't get to see as much, either by Zoom or in person. When you do that, the Thanksgiving day is not the best day for confrontation. I told you I was going to help you out here. Between, you know, the turkey or the cranberry salad and the turkey is not time for you to reconcile your inner child with grandpa. Wait till Friday. Friday's better. Okay. We, we know this is that wisdom lets you know when to engage in confrontation. Again, Paul did something a little unconventional, but we see the wisdom in it. He, he wanted people publicly to see Peter's hypocrisy on that issue to protect people's faith. Guys, I'm telling you, I believe that God's going to give you wisdom. And this Thursday, and even the rest of the weekend, if you're interacting with people you normally don't or in settings you don't, how about a strife-free Thanksgiving? I mean, can you have a vision for that right now? Like, you don't have to engage in a fight. You don't have to get into the argument. Now, I'm the baby of the family, and, and I've done this since I'm about nine years old, maybe even a little younger. I like to take these verbal grenades and just... I launch them into the conversation. And then I go get my pumpkin pie, just watch the carnage happen. <laughs> so I started something a couple of years ago. And I have a list. I have about five things that I told my family are off limits to talk about. And I literally sent a text to key people in the family and said, please do not talk about five things. Now, one of the biggest reasons that we're not going to talk about that is because those are the five things that I use to throw my verbal grenade. So it's like self-accountability, you know. So I, I want to love strife more than I love entertainment. So I, I do want you to have a great week. And, and so we'll talk more about appropriate confrontation as I see this in the passage. But, man, you know, you know that Aunt Martha is going to give an opinion about the election that's going to tick you off. You know that now, so don't get mad about it Thursday. Just get up and just go for a little turkey trot around the neighborhood and cool off and come on in. You know, just, just let it go. Let it go. Are you singing the song, Let It Go, right now? Because I'm not going <laughs> to sing it. I did that one Sunday not too long ago, and it didn't work out that great. So, Here's a proverb that the first time I read it, I really liked it. It felt good to read, but I didn't really know what it meant. And you'll see why. Proverbs 25, starting with verse 11. A word spoken at the right time is like gold apples and silver settings. Verse 12 gives more insight. A wise correction to a receptive ear is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. So it's something really valuable. So the first time I read that scripture, again, verse 11, I'm like, man, that, that scripture feels good, but what in the world does it mean? A word spoken at the right time is like gold apples in the silver setting? And that meant nothing to me. I just liked the way it sounded. Then one day I was sitting at the kitchen table in a home not owned by my wife, so it wasn't her home, and it wasn't my mother's home, and other than that, I'll just stop there. I'm not exactly sure whose home it was, but I remember seeing this turquoise piece of plastic Tupperware. You know, in the 70s and 80s, everyone was 
exchanging Tupperware. Those things have lived forever. Plastic lives forever. We, didn't, we did not even have plastic until, you know, NASA developed it in the 60s. And now we have these plastic bowls that last forever. So this is like a bright turquoise plastic bowl in the middle of the dining room table. And then there's rotting fruit inside of it. Like fungus spores are floating in the air and filling up my nose. And the, the fruit doesn't look edible. And it's sitting in this bowl of plastic. And, you know, it just was time to put it in the trash. I'm not trying to sound like a fruit snob. I'm just letting you know what it is. And then I thought about this scripture that I had read several times and not remembered. And put up verse 11 again. It says, a word spoken at the right time is like gold apples in a silver setting. So not the cheap plastic turquoise bowl, which I have plenty of those in my house too. So I'm not trying to act like I'm a hoity-toity. They're great for picante sauce and chips. But um, this idea of valuable gold apples are right there in this silver, something of great value, something of great worth, something you could get money for. Not you're going to throw away. You can get money for this. And man, that's what it's like when you and I nail it verbally. Like when we, when we, we, we bring the right words to the right situation. And, and we don't do that on our own. Man, we do that with the Holy Spirit's help. And we do that when we're humble enough to, to lay our opinions aside until the Holy Spirit leads us. And, and I want you to have a vision for that this week. Like, you're going to be a spokesman for God. And that doesn't mean that that's always for a big crowd with a microphone. I want to be a spokesman for God. That means at kitchen tables, dining room tables, having coffee around the couches, you say the right thing at the right time with the Holy Spirit's guidance, or you refrain from speaking something. And guys, I see that for us. The environment you're in is important for confrontation. So our little team here at the church, our staff, they're real good because they know not to talk to me about certain issues before church on Sunday morning. Because it, it kind of messed me up emotionally. I'm like, I, I mean, I want to know if there's a need and a crisis in someone's life. But if, if there's something going on, there's a plumbing leak in the back corner of the building and I'm calling a plumber today. Let me know later after church or whatever the case is. Most of the, they all do a great job of that. And occasionally about once every year and a half, something will come up and I'll just say, hey, that's not a Sunday morning conversation. Um, see you at 12.15. And they're all really great. For that, occasionally I'll have two of them waiting outside, waiting in my office at 12.15. I'm like, uh-oh, what's happened today? Church is over. Let's get down to business. Um, so the point I'm trying to make is the environment matters. The environment matters. And, and, and that happens in parenting too. You know, I get up fairly early and my mind starts racing and I, I need to learn things that I'm thinking about and questions I have for my kids. Don't ask them before 1 p.m. It's not fitting. It's not, it's not going to be received well. Just write it down. Write it down and, and, and ask later. So I'm talking about atmosphere and environment. Again, here, Paul does something very unusual and not typical, but he did it for a purpose. Here's another category. Uh, relationship. Relationship. Do you have the relationship with someone to confront them? Because if you like to confront people that you don't have a relationship, you are what we call a jerk. 
confrontation without relationship is not fitting. So there's an old, about a 20-year-old saying that's kind of become, it's not scripture, but it's kind of become part of our lexicon that has a lot of truth to it. Not, not ultimate truth, but a lot of truth. And here it is. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. That's a good statement. Not a scriptural statement, but it's still a good statement. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. And so it is that there are times when we're in charge of an organization or whatever the case is, or we're, we're dealing with mass issues and we've got to make rules that affect people we don't know. So that just happens. So I know that. But I'm talking about people that are in our sphere that they don't want to hear rules until they know we care for them. And so the, the work of care and the work of relational connection goes a long ways to producing harmony and truth and everything God wants. And the scripture talks about this, and I think the, the scripture we're going to read now is just so revealing because it talks about a healthy father's relationship with their kids. And I want you to see here that, and I know some of you who don't have good, good relationships with the Father, you're going to have to filter this through a sense of idealism. But, but let's do that here. That I care to correct not only my children, but my spiritual children, because I love them. If I don't have an emotional connection with someone, I'm like, well, I hope it works out for them. I hope they don't mess up their life. But if I love them, I'm going to correct them or give my opinion or start the conversation. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse five, starting with verse 5, says, And you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addressed you, look at this, as a father addresses his son. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly. And look at this, or lose heart when, we, when you are reproved by him. Some of us lose heart when we receive a word of correction. We lose heart. And the scripture is saying, don't do that. You are loved by the Father because you're a daughter and you're a son when you receive a word of correction. And having a teachable spirit and having a, a, an open spirit is a very difficult thing for us to have. So going on to verse 6, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he and he punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? Verse 8. But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Keep it there for a second. Go back to that scripture. I want you to see something. That fatherhood is not biological and it's not even legal. So it's not, you can be adopted, or you can, you can do your DNA kit and find out who your biological father is, or you can know your biological father. But according to this scripture, that's not what makes someone a father or a mother even. Discipline does. If you, receive, if you are without discipline, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. And so if, if the father is not correcting us, if we're not, if we're not exposed to some kind of confrontation in our life, we're not operating as true daughters and sons in the Lord. And verse 9 goes on. Moreover, uh, furthermore, we, we had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Guys, this is a a beautiful picture. I want you to change your, your perception about confrontation. When done well, I mean, bad confrontation is destructive. I, but when it's the right environment and the right relationship, the right timing and the right relationship, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, and we need that so much, spiritual brothers and sisters, these, these relationships God puts us in, these relationships are an expression of love even when it's tough to hear. Even when it's tough to receive. And those are what shape us and mold us as men and women of God. And lastly, I'll talk about this, the cause. The cause. So confrontation must have a great cause. Don't waste confrontation on something that's not an exceptional cause. And a lot of times that's what we do. We get so mad, you know, when the food comes out late. And guys, let me just help you. From this point forward, I, God bless our food industry people, but it's never going to be fast enough or hot enough. That's just the world we live in. Welcome to the 21st century. So if you just decide that ahead of time, you'll be less of a jerk, you know? So I just know that. I just know that, that my food's not going to come fast enough, and it probably won't be right, and it probably won't be the right temperature. And if it bothers me that much, I'll just stop going out to eat. Because it's just, guys, y'all know teenagers are the people cooking our foods now and bringing them to us. So, so just decide that ahead of time. Beyond that, that's not a cause to fight for. I mean, it's, it, you, you can ask for them to warm up the soup, but don't be a jerk about it. It just doesn't matter. It just, it just isn't worth it. So years ago, 10 years ago, when I had first come to this church, we had all of these tables and chairs out in the lobby that you can walk around. You couldn't walk anywhere. You had to go in and out of these tables and move chairs, and then it was loud, and, and it looked like a school cafeteria to me. I said, like, man, this looks like a school cafeteria, all these tables and chairs. And, I, and so one day I said, man, where, where did we get these tables and chairs? And they were here before I came to the church. And someone said, well, one of the local schools bought new cafeteria equipment, and they donated it to us. So not only did it look like cafeteria tables and chairs, they were cafeteria tables and chairs. So as God's man and power and, and faith, I asked our associate pastor at that time, David Huff, to get rid of the chairs and tables. And so he did. He took the heat and he got rid of the tables and he got rid of the chairs. So now, even to this day, you're benefiting from this. You can actually move around the lobby. It's not an obstacle course anymore. And you don't have to hear it like rub across the cement and echo forever. And so David got rid of the tables and chairs. And man, did it cause a controversy. I mean, I've had to wait 10 years to bring it up now. That, I mean, it was like, man, people were mad. I mean, they had their certain seats that they had, they had their certain places they wanted to be. And I was like, man, Pastor David, I can't believe he did that to you guys. <laughs> that's not a cause worth fighting for, right? And that's what I want to say. Like, like, is it a cause worth fighting for? But I want to suggest to you guys that there are behaviors there are systems. There are community habits. There are multi-generational sins. There are deep-seated strongholds that must be confronted for healing. 
and the Lord will show you what those are. Someone in your family line has to take a stand. Someone has to say, not anymore. And so it is that we take a stand often and we confront with our own way, whether it's a protest, silent protest by getting away and walking away from the conversation, or whether it's an appropriate uh, environment and relationship like Paul used to Peter and say, no longer, this is not going to happen. I'm not going to be involved in this. And I want to just hit this head on. And we'll go back to the month of June so I can remind you of this. If your family participates in racial jokes, you have to stop that. And you can stop that by not laughing, and you can stop that by leaving the room, and you can stop that by maybe, uh, you know, in the right setting, in the right time, verbally confronting that. The Lord will make that known. But you have to be the one that says, it stops here. Because you're not just doing it for yourself. You're not just doing it to say like, well, I want to be known as a nice person. Uh, or, you know, I, I want to just make sure that I uh, slip into heaven. No, you're breaking the generational curse in your family. If your family can't handle alcohol, because there's some people who are genetically predispositioned. I mean, they can't have any alcohol or they go on a, a binge and they go on a run. Man, for the sake of the next generation, you be the one that stops that habit. Grab a Coke Zero instead of a Coors, man. And do it not just for yourself. Do it for the next generation. This is, this is us saying, like, it's got to stop with me. We've got to stop these, these deep-seated behaviors, and we're going to stop it. And see, we're benefiting 2,000 years ago because Peter said to, to, excuse me, Paul said to Peter, you are wrong. And he confronted someone who was respected, someone who is loved. And in the own way, with our own personality and the way the Lord shows us, we will do the same for many things in the future. So this is, this leads us to our gospel application. I've talked about a lot of practical applications of the gospel to our life. But I want to remind you as we move towards closing of our gospel application. Jesus confronted our sin so we will be transformed by him. Jesus, he was one who called out sin in religious people. He called out sin in religious leaders. He called out sin because if, he, if we don't understand that we've inherited sin from Adam and Eve, then we won't see the need for Jesus. Jesus had a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus, I see a lot of myself in Nicodemus. He was a professional. He probably made a good living being a religious professional. Uh, he had a level of respect in the community. But he was missing a vital relationship with Jesus. And so because he was, we can suppose, a people pleaser, he met with Jesus at night. He said, Jesus, are you the Messiah? And he's trying to figure out who Jesus is. And then we get some incredible insight into our faith and why our faith is more than a temporary emotional connection. Our faith is more than a temporary intellectual agreement. Our faith is a transformation from within. Jesus said this. This is in John chapter 3, starting with verse 3. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Guys, this is a confrontational statement. This is, in our day, a controversial statement. He didn't say, if you're good, you know, if you're nice to your pets, if you're 
a nice guy at work, if you're a nice guy, you'll go ahead and get in the kingdom of heaven because good people get into heaven. He said this. He said, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, not emotionally agreeing with Jesus, not just intellectually agreeing with Jesus, but transformed from within, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, and here's a question. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Obviously, the answer to that is no. And Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Water is born of the flesh. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. And whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. Jesus is reminding us that salvation a connection to him, an adoption into his family, and being eternally connected with Jesus is not something we do through our own morality, our own self-will, our own intellectual agreement, our own emotional connection. It's God who chose us. It's God who engages salvation. It's God who changes us, and we must be born again. And I really think that today, on, on really my favorite week of the year. Thanksgiving week is my favorite week of the year. This one feels much different. It doesn't even feel like Thanksgiving yet, but, but I still like this week of the year. God's wanting to remind you guys in here that you are different. You are born again. You are not just um, the product of your environment. You are not just a category in a personality organizational uh, kind of exercise. You are not just taking on the traits of your grandparents and parents. You are not just someone who, who is uh, living out a life as, as a response to the experiences you have. You have been born of God, by God, through God. There's a new nature in you. There's a new man. There's a new woman. You're not who you used to be because God has done the work in you. God has done for you what you can't do for yourself, and that's why we worship him. We worship him because of the greatness of who he is and what he's done for us. Let's stand together. Let's stand together if you're able to. We want to just respond to the Lord today. We want to respond to your greatness today. God, I thank you, Lord, that you've given us insight into confrontation. Lord, we're going to be wiser about confrontation. We're going to be wiser about how to confront when to confront, why to confront. Lord, we're going to be more relational. We're going to know better environments. We're going to pick up better causes. Lord, that's all coming out of the story of Paul and Peter. But Lord, we know this, is that the biggest confrontation we have is to confront sin in our life. It's a mountain that's unclimbable. Lord, it's, a, it's an abyss we can't cross on our own, God. Lord, it's a space with just, there's no hope without Jesus. But we thank you, Jesus, that Lord, we're going to greater heights with you, that we're crossing, Lord, the deepest seas. We're going, Lord, past the, the abyss that's uncrossable. And, Lord, because of Jesus, you do for us what we can't do for ourselves. That, Jesus, you initiate salvation, and you preserve salvation. And, Lord, I'm speaking to people who are born again, not born in a human birth. They can't do that twice. But, Lord, we have a spiritual birth where sin once was was. Now there's salvation. Lord, where brokenness was, now there's healing. Lord, we thank you, God. Lord, 
where addiction was, Lord. Now we have, Lord, opportunity, God. Lord, we thank you, God. Lord, once where there was hopelessness, now, Lord, we're seeing a better day in Jesus. We've got better days ahead of us, not by our power, but by your spirit, Lord. We have better opportunity in front of us because what you have for us, God. And so we praise you and we thank you and we honor you this day. We love you, O Lord. You know, when you came in today, you may have taken uh, a little pack of communion or, or, and, and those are available in the back if you want to get those. I'm going to consecrate those to the Lord so that we can know, we believe that there's real presence. The real presence of the Lord is with us when we take communion. And so before I give our benediction today, I'm going to pray over that. And part of my prayer that prepares me to connect with God. It's a prayer of confession. You know, the scripture says, if we confess our sins to the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive us of sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we don't, we don't confess sin out of fear. We do it out of faith, knowing that Jesus is faithful to hear our confession and to cleanse us from sin. And then we are asking for God to set up his reign in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. And so as we prepare uh, before our benediction today, as we prepare for the table of the Lord, or even if you just want to seal uh, the receiving of God's word and the teaching of God's word today, I want to invite you to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray it for myself, and you can see it on the screen. You're welcome to pray it with me. Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me and all of the world. Father, on this Thanksgiving week, we thank you for our country. We thank you, Lord, that um, we have a model of, of your grace through uh, these years that the United States of America has been established, God, and the faith of the pilgrims, how you got them through the first winter. And God, that was providential, God. And Lord, how even though we were under the judgment of the Civil War, God, we came out of that, God. And, and Lord, you led us to the civil rights movement and the Civil Rights Bill of 1964. And Lord, you helped us move, Lord, to a more equitable society where all Christians, black or white, are Asian or Hispanic, God, we could be equal before the Lord. And Lord, now in these days of a global pandemic, God, we say, Lord, thank you that you're going to get us through. Thank you, oh God, that you're going to get us through these days of adversity. And on this Thanksgiving week, God, we pray, oh Lord, that Lord, even though some of us are choosing out of love to restrict our travel or restrict our gatherings, and some of us, Lord, are, are making other decisions of what we would not prefer, we pray, oh God, for grace and strength and presence, God. Lord, we want more of you. We want more of your presence than our culture. Lord, we love the culture we've established. I love my family. I love my traditions. But God, I pray, Lord, that Lord, that I would love your presence more than anything, oh God. And so, Lord, we receive your presence this week. We receive the feast of your presence. And Lord, we move in, Lord, to realms of gratitude and realms of thankfulness for the sake of your name and the sake of the gospel. And we praise your name for that. I'm going to give our benediction today, and you're free to leave. Pastor Aubrey's going to lead us in worship. So I know some of us may want to use that time to take the elements and or to just 
uh, ponder this. I'll be down here at the front if you want to say hello or want to pray with me. But after this benediction, that'll be our formal dismissal. And then we'll be here to worship with you as the Lord moves in your heart. I love you guys. I love this week. I love what this week means. We're not focused on presence. We're focused on on our faith and our, on our relationships. And so I pray that you'd have full hearts this week to receive all God has. Would you receive this blessing as we Give this benediction, and then we'll move into a time of worship for those who are staying. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you peace all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, I love you, and Jesus loves you. Happy Thanksgiving. Have a great week in him. God bless you. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of gold, the King above all.